the value of investments and any income generated from them can fall as well as rise. Where charges are taken from capital, this may constrain future growth. Hello, my name is Philip Saunders, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Wen Chang Ma and Alan Shao, to discuss what investors can expect in the Chinese New Year, the Year of the Tiger. Uh, and I'm going to start off by setting the scene uh, by talking a little bit about what happened in China last year, uh, and then moving forwards to uh, look at the sort of key likely macro developments over the course of the Chinese New Year. Last year turned out to be pivotal in the sense that uh, the Chinese authorities used a, a, an extremely strong macroeconomic environment with exports booming to make some pretty difficult decisions to address structural issues. They moved to tighten monetary policy uh, surprisingly early, uh, whereas the Fed and other Western central banks uh, continued to keep policies at emergency settings. Uh, the People's Bank of China uh, tightened from February last year. Uh, and that started to have an immediate impact. Uh, and also, uh, there were significant policy shifts. Obviously, one area uh, was to address the problems of financial stability, uh, particularly relating to the very large Chinese property sector. But this was accompanied by significant policy shifts in the area of uh, national self-sufficiency, common prosperity, and the problem of uh, inequality. Also, anti-monopoly and regulation, which particularly impacted the big uh, internet stocks and certain other stocks uh, uh, that were, uh, were, were impacted by this. And then finally, the announcement of targets to uh, peak carbon in 2030, carbon neutrality by 2060. So environmental policy changes uh, in addition to that. So very much a question of fixing the roof while the sun is shining. So export demand provided the sort of impetus for an overshoot uh, in terms of GDP, tightening liquidity and tightening regulations and confusion about policy shifts clearly uh, had a negative impact on financial markets. So looking ahead, pol policy priorities are beginning to shift. We can see that the, the focus on realization of growth, uh, the overriding priority for the new year. Uh, and this means that some of the policy initiatives are going to be watered down somewhat. And it also means that uh, uh, monetary policy is likely to be uh, loosened. Macroprudential policy is likely to be loosened. And, and indeed, we've already seen signs of this. Economic growth in the first half of the year uh, is going to be tough, affected by two things. Number one, the delayed impact of tightening that occurred roughly a year ago. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, the uh, new uh, Omicron wave of COVID. China has pursued a sort of zero tolerance uh, approach to controlling the pandemic, but it appears that uh, Omicron is, uh, is much more contagious. And so policy may have to shift. So again, whereas Western economies are beginning to sort of see the end, uh, there is more to come uh, probably in the first half of the year for China. So against that backdrop, uh, I'm now going to turn to Alan. Uh, and Alan, uh, could you just take us through what you expect uh, to happen on the interest rate and government bond front uh, in Chinese New Year? Thank you, Philip. Um, so as you have laid out, I mean, China has been zigging uh, while the rest of the world was zagging. So uh, against a, a backdrop where, uh, you know, the G3 universe was, was loosening or running very loose financial policies, China was tightening indeed of last year. It has uh, uh, therefore tremendous headroom to ease. And I guess what has been surprising in 2021 
is despite all the various headwinds that, that you've described, they've chosen not to. In, in fact, they have been pursuing a policy of uh, deleveraging across the economy, uh, especially within the property sector, which uh, they have been concerned about for a number of years now. And the, the headwinds of, of Omicron, as you mentioned, uh, which for China imply a, a restriction of mobility and, um, uh, and further lockdowns, uh, present a challenge as we step into 2022. But against that backdrop, um, we have um, an economy that is not facing the same inflationary pressures as we see elsewhere. Um, and relative to, to, let's say, the U.S., if we look at the difference in real rates, then both, uh, you know, China, that divergence between China and the U.S. is expected to continue uh, because China is facing uh, a relatively higher nominal rate environment um, versus, you know, a relatively low inflation Whereas um, you know uh, the U.S. is uh, broadly speaking seeing uh, quite a, um, a high inflationary impulse at the moment, uh, against which rates have not really uh, begin to move uh, just as yet, and it's that uh, real yield differential that's underpinning the attractiveness of the market. So as we look at the, the Chinese onshore bond market, I guess the key outcome uh, or the, the key outlook for for 2022 is that it was the sleeper hit of last year, which is that if you look at all of the um, uh, the various headlines um, and uh, you know the, the challenging performance of Chinese uh, risk assets on the equity and fixed income side. Uh, you know Chinese government bonds delivered quite a good year, and with very low correlation to other fixed income markets and other risk assets. And we expect that to to continue uh, in 2022 because even in a slowing growth environment, uh, we can expect that uh, you know the fixed income markets will provide some some ballast. Um, so that's uh, you know where we see uh, sort of rates um, uh, and, and and inflation in China. Obviously, the the key uh, tail risk is um, is Omicron and whether or not we see a a change uh, in the paradigm that China's used uh, in terms of how they approach that. A more protracted lockdown uh, will uh, increase uh, pressures in the supply chain from disruptions. And in this regard, this is also a key risk we think for the global economy. So while it's true uh, that, that, the, that the West is, I guess, coming out of a, a long tunnel um, and, you know, the approach on Omicron has been very uh, distinct, we think it's going to be difficult for global growth uh, writ large to outperform when, you know, a key member or key provider of that global growth is, you know, disrupted or, or heading into further uh, lockdowns while the rest of the world reopens, right? I think for a, a full-throated growth recovery, we need um, you know, both feet on the dance floor rather than just one. So that would be Yes, our, it's certainly true that um, you know, you know, the, the China's importance in the global supply chain you know, has been incredibly evident over the last couple of years during the sort of COVID period. Uh, but moving on to credit, uh, clearly credit's had a rough time. As you pointed out, Chinese government bonds were a great asset to own last year. The underlying fundamentals are supportive, but there's probably less scope on that side. Credit, by contrast, had a really tough time. Are risk premia high enough now to attract investors? Um, well, at the moment, I think it's it's hard to find any segment of the global fixed income universe that is more attractive on valuations. Uh, but to answer the question if risk premia are sufficient, uh, one has to think about um, you know what the likely uh, potential outcomes are, right? Because it's certainly cheap. It's historically cheap to itself. It's cheap relative to to every other fixed income credit product uh, out there uh, because we're pricing, for example, within the Chinese high yield property market, a situation in which 
the expectation that the market is saying is, you know, more than 60% of all issues will default. That would be unprecedented. I don't think we've, we, we've seen that in any market. Frankly, I don't think um, any of us, you know, longer term watchers of this market uh, expected even uh, for us to be here. Uh, so it's very hard to say that the risk premium are insufficient just because it's so hard to countenance an outcome where, you know, that level of default occurs. But we are in, uh, in many ways, in, in uncharted territory uh, because uh, mainly of technicals. Um, I, I would say that um, the reason that we are here is not so much, uh, you know, the, the fundamental picture has changed dramatically. It's, uh, it's really because investors are facing a, a, a little bit of a crisis of confidence and, and there's, you know, the actions of one individual company um, are not uh, are no longer enough, right, to to really move the needle here. Sure. So what we what we need and expect uh, is for um, a more, let's say, um, clearer and de uh, decisive policy uh, response. Uh, we've seen uh, fine tuning and uh, and uh, at the margin loosening, uh, but the markets remain unconvinced. And and I think this is the key question that plays out this year: whether or not this happens. Um, can we just so uh, so so you know again it's it's not clear cut it never is in these circumstances um, but by and large policy is moving in the right direction the question is basically how rough the fundamentals are in the first uh, uh, first half of the year just touching on the renminbi before we move to equities we've got Fed tightening and the PBOC loosening so there's a significant policy divergence uh, and the renminbi actually strengthened against a strong dollar last year. Uh, what, what do you expect for the current year? Uh, this is one of the conundrums that we, we spend a lot of time speaking to investors about, because if you look at the behavior of the RMB versus other EM currencies, it is very puzzling. However, I guess the, the, the controversial view that, that we come to, so leaving aside the monetary side, if we just look at the balance of payments. So what happened last year is, is China you know, the, had a very strong export outturn. And um, against that, um, we, we also did not get the expected outflow that would usually come from, from Chinese tourism, right? So because the, the country is effectively uh, closed in on itself, uh, it's been able to maintain fantastic export performance. So that's the main contact with the outside world, whereas Chinese tourists have not been able to go offshore. So from that side, there's been a tremendous inflow pressure. And against that, on the investment side, you know, FDI and portfolio flows have been very, very strong, right? One, uh, because of, you know, a, you know the inclusion of, of the currency into various indices, but also because China remains, uh, you know, one of the few secular uh, markets where there are underlying growth opportunities for, for investment. So it's really that backdrop, that, that very strong flow technical that has underpinned the strength of the currency. And if anything, we think, you know, if the, the authorities had not done anything, the currency would be stronger than it is sure. today. Rather Absolutely. than, um, and that's the that's the strange paradox. Uh, against a strong dollar, it's uh, and with that divergence in, in monetary policy, you would have expected the uh, another picture. Uh, but what's really emerging, I guess, is the strength of that flow um, really beats all before it, right? Um, and so that's the the backdrop that we expect for for the current year as well. Got it. Okay, great. Uh, let's move on to equities. Uh, so Wen Chang, over to you. Uh, so the macro environment is, uh, at least in terms of policy, is potentially becoming uh, more supportive. Uh, what, what's your take on uh, the opportunities within Chinese equities and for the market as a whole? 
Yes, sure. Thank you, Philip. So I think um, the Chinese equity market clearly had a very tough year last year with both earnings downgrades and also valuation derating, driven by uh, all the challenges that uh, you and Alan have mentioned um, previously. So when we look at the, the index performance, the MSCI China All Shares was actually down 13% over the year and the Asia market did better was up by about 4%, and that was all happening in um, basically the last quarter. And um, I think looking ahead, um, clearly the policy stance is turning more supportive of uh, not just the growth, but also stability. Um, and I think uh, also comparing to the broader environment last year, um, we hope that we're going to see more dispersion in terms of opportunities across a wider spectrum of industries um, in the Chinese equity market. So we're clearly seeing um, the Chinese equities now, um, which have pulled back towards a more attractive valuation level, uh, both onshore market and offshore market have pulled back towards um, their 10 year historical average. Um, and I think when we look at the, the uh, opportunity set, um, despite all the challenges, I think the uh, a lot of the companies um, actually are still quite resilient and still face long-term structural growth. So the key for us really is to focus on the uh, earnings momentum here. I think uh, that's probably the biggest opportunity area uh, and also the risk area. So um, given the, the, the challenging environment, there will be continued downward earnings revision pressure on uh, the companies uh, in China overall. But if we manage to find the companies that actually do have quite strong operating momentum um, that are meeting or even beating market expectations and considering the overall valuation level at the moment, I think it's possible that uh, there could be a broader uh, opportunity set waiting for us to discover um, in the coming year. Um, and yes. on top of that, I think we also want to stress that we want to focus on the companies that are, are uh, predominantly uh, driven by Chinese domestic economy. So clearly, um, uh, I think the uncertainties coming from uh, the zero COVID policy, how that's going to impact growth and also persistent geopolitical tensions. And we're also heading into the midterm elections in the U.S., uh, which is the particular year. So I think um, given all this uh, broader context, I think the focusing on the Chinese domestic economy is still the right way for us to go. But within the domestic economy, there is significant valuation divert dispersion. You know, again, basically, uh, how do you square that particular circle? Is it really about uh, uh, focusing on companies that uh, are aligned with government priorities, possibly? Um, I think we've always uh, uh, we have always been saying that we want to be focusing on bottom up opportunities rather than taking that top down view um, sure. in particular dictated by uh, where the, the government policy is directing. But there are also some interesting themes, I think, uh, uh, which. Uh, China clearly as a country uh, has been very uh, dedicated towards, for example, energy transition. And that is likely going to be a uh, very significant trend that is going to uh, dominate the growth drivers for several industries 
um, that are subjected to that supply chain. So uh, we have over the past year discovered some very exciting opportunities along the lines of uh, energy transition, uh, along the lines of uh, uh, industrial automation, um, and also China's uh, uh, broad uh, tax self-sufficiency. And I think we can continue to uh, discover the opportunities along those lines, um, given uh, that the, the 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 priority for us is to look for companies with decent quality and and strong operating momentum that supports the earnings valuation. Great, and I have to ask you about the big tech companies. Um, do you think that they're going to continue to be uh, constrained by international tensions, or have valuations got to levels at which uh, uh, you know li literally the access to the long term structural growth stories are um, are a, a sufficient incentive to rebuild exposure. Certainly. So um, the internet companies last year was um, uh, were clearly among the biggest victims uh, on the Chinese equities market. So in total, uh, we've seen about 40% downward earnings revisions uh, on the large internet names. Um, and valuation has clearly pulled back, uh, especially with uh, international investors de-risking China at the same time. Um, and Looking at uh, looking forward from this point on, um, clearly a lot of the uh, large internet names have pulled back in terms of their valuation. Optically, they uh, seem quite attractive, um, but that's under the condition that, that their growth rate can be maintained. I think we are going into a period where, uh, the, in terms of the regulations, the, the regulators are moving from an a, uh, intensive announcement stage into an implementation stage. So uh, we're probably not going to see as much shock as the previous year, but uh, we haven't seen the entirety of uh, the uh, updated regulation, uh, how they're going to be implemented yet. Um, and overall, we're still seeing the large internet names such as Alibaba, Tencent, Meituan. They are still in that earnings downward revision cycle. So um, I think for uh, market sentiment to come back um, to a more uh, a sustainable stage, you probably will need to see the earnings revisions to stabilize first. Um, and that will probably still take a bit of time. Um, but overall, I think in the long term, the tech industry overall, be it internet or broader tech industry, I think is still an area where China is quite uh, supporting the growth of. Um, and I think uh, for us as, as investors, we still want to look for opportunities in those areas. Got it. Uh, I think I'd love to continue the conversation, but, uh, but we have to wrap up at this point. Uh, so I'd like to thank both Alan and Wen Chang very much for their um, uh, the, the, the interesting points that they made. Um, and I think the year of the tiger uh, is, um, is going to be challenging, uh, but there are at least plenty of opportunities um, for longer term investors. Thank you very much. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.